This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to put on the show. show, show. There's people reacting to the question of whether or not Rashad Penny. Look, I, whatever he contributes this year, I'm going to consider it sort of found money. Because I wasn't counting on it. And that's not a commentary on the, the worthwhileness of the draft pick that was used. That's just how I see it. Like, you want him to be the, the, the second sort of punch there, but you haven't been able to count on him staying healthy. Is that, is that the right way to look at it? It's the way that you hopefully Should, look at it. Right? I mean, it's yeah. hopeful. You are hoping also that Chris Carson's going to be healthy for 17 games, which is far from a certainty, too, you know? There's probably going to be a couple of games where they'll need Penny to step up and take the— bigger workload at running back, especially if you are adding that extra game at the end of the season. So but my hope is that over time, when we're looking at Penny in week 10, week 12, that we're closer to seeing that Rashad Penny against the Philadelphia Eagles in 2019, where I, I thought he was awesome in that game. Well, let's bring in Brock to see how he thinks about Seattle's running back rotation. It's time for Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Blue 42! Well, Brock, before we get to question one, a penny for your thoughts on Rashad Penny. Oh, wow. Nice to have you back, Polly. Good to be back. You're on the wedding tour circuit, right? Wedding singer? Uh, Milwaukee. Uh, yes, it was a Sunday wedding. It was a Jewish wedding, which I think are the most fun because you get to do the chair dancing at the very end of it. And oh, uh, yeah, oh. good old time. Good nice. old time. Tore up the dance floor. What do I think of Rashad Penny? I would uh, totally agree with your commentary there, Danny. That He is unfortunately not one that's gained any trust of the program. I think right now, if there was a trust meter amongst players and coaches and folks upstairs, not a talent meter, but a trust meter, the trust meter would be higher for Alex Collins than it is for Rashad Penny. And that is a bummer. I mean, that's a first-round pick. That is a, that, that's a pick where there were other elite running backs and difference makers and guys that have proven in their career to, to be studs in this league. And unfortunately, as of right now, Rashad has just not been that guy, nor has he gained the trust of the people around him, and that's not the position you want to be in. He's in the best shape of his life for the second time I can remember. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to question one. We're going to play a little Pete Carroll in a moment. Pete didn't seem that concerned about Jamal Adams' contract situation. That situation did ultimately get resolved. He doesn't seem that concerned about Dwayne Brown either. Here he is being asked about Brown, his absences from training camp, and if he's concerned about him being out there week one. No, he's he had to go home. He had a, uh, an urgent family issue, and he's been gone for a couple days. He's, he's back today. Do you have any concern about the opener? No, I'm not concerned about that. He's always going to be calm, cool, collected. Mm -hmm. Where is your concern level at right now when it comes to getting Dwayne Brown back onto the field? Well, I do think he's going to play week one. I mean, what's 10 million divided by 16? A lot. 
Yeah, and I know that he's made a ton of dough. I guess we got to do over 17 or really 18 weeks now. So it's 10 million divided by 18, 600 grand a, a game. And he has millions in the bank. And, and I understand all of that. But that's still an incredible, incredible amount of money that, you know, usually when push comes to shove, guys like that $600,000 paycheck for their 60 minutes of work on a Sunday. So I do think he eventually is, is going to be there week number one in Indianapolis. You're going to desperately need need him he's one of your most talented best players what's my concern meter it's actually low as far as him being there i would sure love to see the two sides meet in the middle i would love two reasonable minds to to come together on this deal and and obviously as of now that's not happened and and you know i don't think it's too much speculation to read into it that the seahawks frankly are the ones not even entertaining it if you listen to John Schneider, who tends to be fairly honest, he doesn't talk a lot to the media, but but when he does, he's usually fairly transparent, sometimes maybe too honest, which is why he doesn't talk a ton to the media. But I think if I read into some of his comments from pregame a couple weeks ago, they're not they're just not entertaining that. They're not making that call. They're not going down that road. They don't want to start that conversation and so I think unfortunately for Dwayne, there's not going to be an extension before week number 1. I agree with you. I don't think there is. I don't think the Seahawks are engaging in that level, and that's. I, I think that, I think Seattle's comfortable with that decision. I I still think there's a great deal of uncertainty of whether or not Dwayne Brown's going to play um, without an extension. I, I think that remains very much up. In you the think air, he could be that that steadfast, that stubborn, just as a this stage of his career? Yeah. Yeah. Look, this off this off season. There was I don't know how it was communicated, but this offseason there was talk originating from Brown about him not being sure if he was going to play in twenty twenty one. I mean that's so I I think there's I think there's some uncertainty as as the team's trying to figure out what's going on of how much does he think he has left. Yeah. So that, that's what I, I I think it's a complicated question. Um, I, as I think far as replaceable be. players, where does he sit on your roster? Oh, he's he's at the top. Here's the problem, though, Brock, is that paying him an extension doesn't doesn't make it any more likely that he's going to be able to finish the contract. Right? It's like putting more into yeah. an art. Like if if I put myself in the situation of the GM, if you hear in March that hey, he he's thinking about not playing. Like that. That's if, if that's what you're hearing, and I don't know the exact way that was communicated. And and the next thing you hear is like he wants an extension. Like right. Every 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 like my ears don't just perk up. Like every sense is like, okay, what's really going on here? Yeah, I guess the only evidence there, then Danny, is what kind of shape does he come in? Yeah, how that's does, true. You know, it, how true. does he how, how does he look? Does he come in at three hundred and fifty bills and is just out of it? Does he come in lighter and and hasn't lifted and done anything? Came in in pretty impeccable yeah, shape. It, it looks pretty big. You're right. And You're right so, about that, Brock. You know, I, I, that that would be the only thing to try to cut through and say, okay, then at this stage, we kind of know, right? Veterans go one of two ways: yeah. they either blow up or they don't do anything. He's going to lose all the strength. Too. Correct. He's going to get yeah. skinny, he isn't he? Will. I mean, yeah. he's yeah, he's going to drop 100 pounds when he's done playing. <laughs> he's going to go on that Robbie Toback. Steve Hutchinson. It's Hutchinson. Hutchinson lost it. Like he's Steve Hutch. He lost his ensign. <laughs> Question two. Brock, I turn to you as as a man with the big quarterback brain because I heard this from Greg Cosell and I kicked a garbage can because I think he's an idiot. This is listen to his explanation and I want you to tell me if if you're buying it. Does what he's saying about Jamal Adams make a lick of sense? I think he's a certain kind of player, Ross. 
I think with Jamal Adams, you have to play a certain way on defense. Jamal Adams is a box player. He's a blitzer. And by the way, the the statistics uh, for the Seahawks defense when Jamal Adams blitzed last year were atrocious. They got lit up when he blitzed. So uh, Jamal Adams is a certain kind of player. He's not Ed Reed. He's not Troy Palomalu. Um, You need to play him close to the line of scrimmage. He's an aggressive downhill player. Like I said, they blitzed him a ton, but they were not successful in their pass defense when he blitzed. So you end up being able to, you end up being somewhat limited in what you can do defensively. Mm. I don't discount a lot of that that that, that first commentary. I, no, no, no. I discount the last part when you say, "Well, you're limited with him on the field." I, I would disagree with that aspect. I, I don't think you are. But I mean, Danny, he's he's going to point to numbers and just raw data that says, "Hey, you know, when when he blitzed, when he was the fifth guy." Now that's not Jamal Adams' fault. That's what I've told you guys for the last two months. That's what we talked about yesterday, and why I clamor for a move for a cornerback, right? If you're going to bring him, that's going to leave what? That's going to leave people in one-on-one situations. Your linebackers, linebackers got to be able to cover tight ends and backs. Can Jordan Brooks and Bobby do that in an elite level? I think that's to be determined in that question. Can your corners, Trey Flowers, Akeel Witherspoon, DJ Reed, uh, whoever's going to be in your slot, Blair, Ugo Amadi, can they cover one-on-one? I think that's very much a question. I think that that is the single greatest liability right now on the roster. Your ability to play straight man-to-man coverage and play the ball and be difference makers. So I think Cassell's I agree with that, Brock, yeah. but that doesn't have anything to do with Jamal Adams and how he plays. Like that's that like what he's saying is Well, you Jamal can't Adams leave is, him one on one. So you can't bring no. other people he, he, because he too is a liability in coverage. But then you're, you know, if if you are going to bring him and that is his str- I would say this about Jamal and I think where he's really missing the point as well is Jamal is an elite, maybe the single best run-stopping safety in the there game. There we go. There that, that, that's what he is. If he would have started his commentary there, listen, Jamal Adams, if I, I give you all the data, when he's the extra defender and he's around the line of scrimmage, look at their defense. Look at the turn it made with Carlos Dunlap in the second half. Yes. You like my word, Pete, from Pete Carroll right there, the turn yes, he made? Yes, made the turn. That was homage to you, Pete, if you're listening, or your wife or family or anybody else. I love that word. So he is an elite run-stopping safety. He is not a coverage guy. And he's a, he is an elite blitzer. He can get home. But you better have people on the back end to cover it. So, yeah, a lot of that commentary was detrimental, I think, to Jamal. And, and I agree with you, Danny. I could see why you bruised your toe kicking the can. Because, hey, man, he can't control the other guys. Like, you've got to do your end now. You've got to pick up your part of it. If you're going to make this trade, then, well, you've got to finish it off and get other guys that you feel can really cover so you can bring him as that extra pass rusher and that extra blitzer. Or... You know, and, and again, like I, I would combat his point of, well, it limits what you can do. No, it doesn't. Now you just got to be a little more creative. And maybe it's it's zone blitz, right? And maybe it's making sure you get people on the field and underneath coverage. You know, maybe that's a little more Daryl Taylor, who's athletic and could cover a little bit more space. If you zone blitz, you still bring four, you cover with seven, and Jamal is the fourth and not the fifth or the sixth, leaving you more vulnerable. Question three. I would like to see Adams maybe have some of those moments in New York where he was solid. I thought like in coverage against tight ends at the very least, but maybe that's a bygone era. Role play, Brock. This is not live action role playing. This is just role playing. God, God. You, you are know ne- what happens when you when you do a, a, 
You're now Everson Griffin. How are you apologizing to Kirk Cousins? Are you going Ooh. to write an apology note like my mother Kitsy would have me do? Do you apologize? Do you know? Do you know, do you know what Everson Griffin said about Kirk, uh, uh, Kirk Cousins? It is kind of bad, said, right? Call he said Kirk, Cous- Kirk Cousins is cheeks. And if you don't believe me, go ask Mike Zimmer if he wanted cousins. <laughs> and this was this was a really long time ago. It was in January. <laughs> yeah, now he's going back to Minnesota. Well, I think you do what Boy Howdy did when he called Kirk Cousins uh, homeschool Tom Brady. You just apologize to his face, and you have a little fun with it, right? You gotta ha- you gotta have. I-, I think if you're Everson Griffin, like you gotta have a little tongue in cheek, a little fun. But I, uh, yeah, I think that's probably something that's gotta gotta be done in person, and hopefully not fester. Will that happen? Uh, will that happen without other adults coming in and bringing them together? I've told the story a few times of Mike Vanderjack and the very first team meeting after the whole episode with Peyton and him and Peyton at the Pro Bowl calling him a you know drunk idiot kicker, and, liquored up kicker. Our kicker yeah. got liquored up. Our idiot that- kicker got liquored up. Dungy did not mess around. That did not fester. The very first team meeting. And in those days, that was like late March, early April with the offseason program. Those two came up front, right? They buried the hatchet. You know, we're all good. I apologize. Shouldn't have said that. Peyton, apologize. Shouldn't have called you a, a you know, liquored up kicker. Idiot, idiot kicker who got liquored up. <laughs> yes. But they, they buried that right from the jump. And I would think that adults now is that mike zimmer is that his personality not necessarily but that got that's got to be somebody on that staff that's why you have you know people that marquan manual right now others that are that are you know not not marquan he's a coach who's the who's the director of player with the players down there okay now with the seahawks mo kelly there you go mo yep mo kelly that's what that is the role of mo kelly right player development player enhancement office right off the locker room He's got to be the one to, to settle, I think, some of those battles. And, and whoever that is in Minnesota, that probably falls on his desk this morning. Uh, my favorite thing about the Vanderjack-Peyton Manning rivalry, uh, calling someone the idiot kicker rivalry. getting liquored up is pretty good. The, the best thing that happened after that was the ESPN The Magazine story. And I don't know if it was before or after that meeting that you're talking about, Brock. But Mike Vanderjack was on the cover of ESPN The Magazine. And mm. the headline was, Butt Kicker. And it was about how Vander Jack is just this truth teller from Canada. <laughs> he just doesn't he doesn't know how to say it. and he was doing exactly oh. he was holding Peyton Manning and Tony Disgusting. Dungy and the rest of the Colts to the bar mm. to which he holds mm. himself. Disgusting. And it even mentioned that he considered suing Peyton Manning because because well he doesn't drink. So it was it was libelous. It was libelous right. what Peyton had said. Mm. <laughs> Vander Jack was an idiot kicker. Peyton Manning did nothing wrong. That he got a cover and Adam Vinatieri, who once tackled Herschel Walker. Oh, God. This was not oh, some segue for more Patriot oh, conversation. Need to bring no, out of here. Go. No, G- <laughs> done with that. Oh, by Good the way, Lord. by the way, was Vinatieri at, uh, at Peyton's Hall of Fame uh, function Oh, was party? he? Yeah, he was. Was a long snapper. How Justin was, was a long snapper. Justin Snow there. But yeah, he was. Was Hunter the punter Smith there? Yeah, yeah, he was. So basically, was the entire battery there, save for one? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes, he was. Because uh, Vader Jerk boy, wasn't there. Nah, Coverboy wasn't there. He wasn't. There. <laughs> Remember when his Pro Bowl jersey got stolen? 
I don't remember that. <laughs> he has it at a bar, I guess, and someone went into the bar at night and just took it. And I think that there actually was a posted like, can you please find my Pro Bowl jersey? No, no, it wasn't stolen. It was used as a dish rag. They didn't have anything else. And I think it was I told this up. story, and I know we're late, but one of the off-seasons when I was there, there was a uh, there was a function, a, a charitable function with John Cougar Mellencamp, Indiana guy, right? Just, just yeah. uh, Indiana roots. And those three, Vayner, uh, Jack, Hunter, Justin, all went to it, and they bought a guitar. Uh, one of John Cougar's guitars, uh, Vayner, Jack did, or yeah, I think it was Vayner, Jack, and because uh, he had the Jack, so he buys the guitar. And after the function, goes up to uh, to John Cougar and says, "Hey, man, would you autograph this?" And John Cougar Mellencamp looked at him, and goes, "Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen." <laughs> there you go. We'll talk to you boys Thursday. Love you. <laughs> That is Brock Heward, Blue 42. That's fantastic. <laughs> Pays all this money for a guitar and then goes gets told to get lost. <laughs> I do think I do think that karma visits kickers more regularly than other professions. Like if you're a jerk kicker, it's going to come back to haunt you more than other other professions. And Vanderjack is exhibit A, right? Because he made all of these comments about the, the Colts choking, was it in 2004? And, and all of the disappointment that was there. And then the next year, when the Colts were the number one overall seed in the AFC and were considered the favorite, he went and yanked, absolutely flubbed. Beautiful. It was so it choked against the I, Pittsburgh Steelers. I've said this before. I, I've never celebrated so hard for a game that did not involve my team because I hated those teams with a passion. And to see him not just miss it, by mi- but miss it like legitimately, it almost didn't get to the end zone. Like it almost went out of bounds, like on the sidelines. And they blew that game, and they almost had a gift wrapped it back right to them when uh, Nick Harper got that fumble. And Ben Roethlisberger basically trips him. I mean, that's the only thing that kept it from Pittsburgh losing the game right there. Do you remember part of the reason why Nick Harper might not have been able yeah, to run that got back? Stabbed, right? He got stabbed. He Ow. got poked. He got stuck. Yeah. So he wasn't. Different he kind wasn't of jab. He wasn't. He wasn't. Wasn't a hundred percent at that point. Yes. Okay. We will move on from mid two thousands Colts minutia of playoff failures. Kyle Seeger is having what might be his best year. Not in terms of his average, but in terms of his power numbers. He's got 29 home runs. He's one shy of matching his career high. He's about 12 runs. He's, I think he's got 87 runs batted in. He, he's on pace to, to surpass 100 RBI for the first time in his career. The assumption most of us have had, including deposed President Kevin Mather, who made the inappropriate comments during the Bellevue Rotary Breakfast Club, is that this might be Seeger's last year. Should it be? And this is the question I ask. The, the Mariners have an option. They have a club option. They can exercise that option and keep him on the team next year for $15 million. It's their choice. He doesn't have any say in that. He's probably not worth $15 million a year, at least over, over the average of what you've gotten him for the course of this contract. Maybe this year he is. But it would be a one-year deal at $15 million. Should the Mariners... Should the Mariners be seriously considering exercising that option? What else would you use that money on? Now, I don't think that they would sign a reliever 
this offseason because it does feel like they have Ken Giles and, and who's the other guy that's recovering from Tommy John surgery that they're waiting to see if they come back and maybe they've found... Munoz, yes. Andres Munoz. Yes, so they have two that are sort of waiting in the wings. That's the kind of contract that you give to a reliever, right? It's like a short-term deal, but there's a lot of money on it because you're not 100% sure what you're going to get. So if that is out of the budget and this is something that you are willing to pick up, I, I think they should. The production this season has been, yes, maybe not from an average perspective, good, but his power, the runs batted in, those have been the best that we have ever seen out of him. And I guess there's a part of me that asks, who else are you paying? You know, is this really going to be that difficult for one more year when I think there might be a chance that the Mariners don't go that aggressively in free agency? Well, they would have that $15 million to spend. And if you bought, if you signed a different player in free agency, if you signed a different infielder, you would probably be signing someone for more years. It would be a longer term commitment and maybe not at that high of a salary. Or maybe it would be. Like you're taking that $15 million and saying, okay, we don't have a successor lined up here at third base. We're going to lock in Seeger there. We're going to play Toro at second. You've got J.P. Crawford and then Ty France, and you figure out where Evan White fits in if, if he starts the year in, in AAA. Or, but that, that becomes your infield. Is, is, is that worth it? Is that, that worth it to, to bring back Seeger, who you know what kind of defense he plays? He's had a really good year. He might not have this good a power year next year, but he's been a pretty clutch hitter. That that sort of that that question that's there. Mike Blowers was on was he on with Wyman and Bob yesterday, and he made the comment about the the fact that Kyle Seeger. We've talked so much about his contract and whether he's lived up to it that maybe we've lost sight of what he does actually contribute to this team. Here was Blowers. Well, I think that he's having and has the opportunity to have his best year as a Mariner, and that's saying something. Uh, you mentioned you can mention his batting average. I'm sure it's not where he wants it to be, but it's not the most important thing of what he brings to this team. Uh, first of all, his defense. You're, I'm telling you, when he's gone, everybody's going to realize just how good he is at third base. He's unbelievable over there. That part of it is big. For a team that is as defensively sound as Seattle, to all of a sudden be potentially without that, yeah, you hope you find someone like that in free agency. But, I mean, if you let him go, you do have to replace him. I don't know that necessarily the power numbers that we see this year happen again this coming season, but no matter who's out there, sometimes it's smart to bring back the thing that you know. And I, I unless they are seriously considering going after someone like Marcus Simeon, which would be likely very expensive, I, I think we're talking multi-years, and if he's making, what, yes. $20 million a year already this yeah, year? Yeah, he's going to get more money. Yeah. And- and then you're looking at a short stop. Let's let's ask Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider. She's going to join us next here on Danny and Gallant. You are listening to Danny and Gallant, powered through the Alaska Airline Studios on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. A lot of texts that have come in, pointing out that hey, Kyle Seeger and what he's been providing. Uh, is certainly worth the idea of $15 million for another season. It's 
we spent so much time talking about what what you you do at the end of that contract that the idea of extending it, I think, comes as a, a jolt to people, but should be something Seattle's considering. We've got Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider, who is with us now on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. First of all, Shannon, uh, we appreciate you joining us to talk about this cardiac kid team that seems seems to have a penchant for the dramatic late in games. <laughs> You've noticed that. <laughs> Yeah, bring Ty France you know, up to the plate with a one-run deficit in the in the ninth inning and watch him go to work. It's Seahawk ass. I mean, I don't, I don't even know why we're watching innings one through eight at this point. <laughs> it's gotten absolutely ridiculous. But it, it's funny because I've been thinking about it a lot, and everybody's focused on can they get to the postseason and how are they going to do it? And they need this and they need that and they need to do this and they need to hit more. And I finally gave up about two days ago and just said, you know what, if they're going to do it, this is how they're going to do it. So let's just get off that roller coaster. You know, the weekend series in Houston. Yeah, that was awful to see 27 runs scored on them, but of course they bounced back. That's what they did. Of course they've had walk off or, or late inning wins. That's what they do. Uh, of course they've done just enough offensively in their wins. So, yeah, this is what they are. This is what they do. And I think probably the way, and I think people are starting to, to get this again, is just have fun with it. I mean, these are exciting wins that we've seen the last two days. Shannon, Oakland has a better record. Are the Mariners a better team than Oakland, though? They've had their number this season. Oakland just seems to have an advantage in every single other statistical metric that you would use to compare the two teams. Well, I think, you know, the Mariners, you look at the bullpen, and that's been a huge part of what they've been doing. And that includes when the bullpen has been reconfigured, and that includes after what, you know, we saw at the trade deadline. You know, all of a sudden, Paul Seawald, he was doing this well before the trade deadline, and he'd actually taken over the leverage situations while Kendall Graveman was still there. But I think that, that that's been huge for them, and I think we, we tend to kind of write that out as, well, that's just one part, smaller part of the game. And I think you're seeing that, no, it's a huge part of the game and you see teams build bullpens to shorten games and you see uh, teams build bullpens for the postseason that's a little bit different and that's because you know what the impact of a bullpen can be but overall yeah they're more experienced uh, you know they've been there before they've been to the postseason it seems like every year it's always a short stay in the postseason but they've been there uh, adding Starling Marte has been huge for the A's they beefed up their bullpen a little bit as well so I think you look on paper yeah but the Mariners have defied the paper all year long, so you can ask which team is better. I don't think it matters. I think it matters, you know, which team is getting the job done. And yes, Oakland has the better record right now. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens in the remaining eight games between the two teams. Uh, but you know, the Mariners are not to where you think and you are hoping they are going to be. You don't want it to be hang on and miraculous wins all the time. You want these young players to develop. You want them to be augmented with talent from the outside in this offseason so at this point are the Mariners better probably not but uh, they sure are catching up quickly I think well and they got Cole Irvin they're facing Cole Irvin old Cole Irvin is on the mound tonight and he was the guy that earlier this year he made the conference uh, the comment about nobody I shouldn't be giving up 10 hits to a team like that nobody should be giving up 10 hits to a team like that that, that spawned a little return shade after their last meeting because Tom Murphy made, yeah, we treated a pitcher. That's how you'd expect us to hit against a pitcher like that. And then Kyle Seeger professed ignorance as to even having faced Cole Irvin before. Uh, Shannon, we talked about Kyle Seeger a little bit. He's 
entering this is the final year of his contract, though there is a club option. Should the Mariners be considering about bringing him back to play third base next year? Well, it's a good question. You look at the club option, and it, it, it's there's one figure. I believe it's fifteen million dollars, but there are incentives as well. So this actually can turn out to be a, a lot more uh, than what I think we've just been looking at. And uh, it's an interesting question in that what he is doing right now is absolutely invaluable to this team. And he's been a different Kyle Seeger at the plate this year. And certainly in the second half, there's been a lot of all or none with him. And they've need needed a lot of those home runs that he's hit. And he's hitting them further than he has ever hit them in his career, which has been a lot of fun to watch, but I think that when you look at that profile, you wonder when that is going to fall off. And do I see that falling off completely next year? Probably not, but you never know. And so I think you have to look at what he would bring in that regard and how important that would be versus the value and also versus the opportunity to do something else for the long term. This is going to be a, a important important off season in picking up a player, not just for next year, but another veteran player to add to the core and if you look at Kyle Seeger at the most you would have him next year you wouldn't have him before that so I don't think it is as simple as looking at he's getting the job done you've got the opportunity to keep him do you I I think you take a longer vision with it and I think in that regard uh, I think it would be tough for them to pick him up. Danny described Ty France a little bit earlier as the metronome of this Mariners offense. And I think it's a great comparison. And of late, Shannon, he's also been picking up the power. He's got four home runs in his last five games, which is you know something we were hoping to see a little bit more from him. Is the way he is playing right now, in your view, a guy who we have only a limited sample size on, is this sustainable? You know, Talking about Kyle Seeger, okay, that's one thing. But France is looking like he might be about to bat 300 fairly soon. Well, he's done that. He's done that for a year. If you take out, he has done that for over a year. He did that last year as well. If you take out the time that he was hurt and about 10 days after he got back from the IL and was still getting getting readjusted and still dealing with the wrist a little bit, uh, he has been hitting over 300. The only reason he is not over 300 for the entire season is because he got hurt. So, yeah, I would say that this is Ty France, and now we are seeing Ty France take that next step forward with the power, which is hilarious because right when everybody, I heard it on the shows on 710, uh, we talked about it on the postgame show with Mike Flowers, and, well, this average is great, and knowing that he's going to get the hits and that he can hit the doubles is fantastic. When does the power jump in? Well, two days later, he starts hitting home runs. And, you know, Marco Gonzalez had me go into the fan graphs last night, and Marco Gonzalez, in his postgame comments, said that Ty France should be August Player of the Month. And it didn't even occur to me that that could be a possibility. But as it turns out, in the American League, he's got the best OPS and the best WRC Plus so far in the month of August. And those numbers are indicating power and average uh, right there. And, it's you know, obviously August is a much healthier sample size. He's hitting, I think, two six or 364 in the month. That's not sustainable. But 300, we've seen that. We've seen that in a good sample. Is he the MVP for the Mariners this year? Oh, he certainly has been in August. Um, You know what, Danny? I I think that consistency is a huge part of it. And let's go ahead and throw in 
the defense. Perry Hill has got him as the leading candidate at first base for the Gold Glove, which seems absurd when you think that you know this is a guy that you were going to find a place to play him because you wanted the bat in the order. Well, it turns out he can play defense. He low-key low really enjoyed defense. He told me that yesterday because I had the impression last year that it was, just put me wherever. I just want to hit. Uh, he's been challenged, and I, I don't know. I think he did bring a lot of that with him, but I think you put him into an infield that's got three other or two other gold glovers, and you have him, he told me, replacing a gold glover and knowing that he was replacing a gold glover. He wanted to do his best to match that, and there's all of the work that goes into that. So you've got that aspect. You've got the, the raw numbers that he's putting up. And then you've got the consistency, which I think is the biggest thing, because you can look at what a Kyle Seeger does or what a Mitch Hanniger does, and they have big moments and they have big stretches. But I think there should be extra points for that consistency, especially in a year like this year where there have been so many ups and downs with the offense. But I think when you know you look up and down that lineup on any given day and you ask who you feel best about in this lineup, if you had a check mark, you know, for every single game of the season, I think Ty France would easily have the most check marks in that category. She is Shannon Dreyer, the Mariners insider and late night owl watching all of these comebacks. Shannon, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Anytime, guys. That is Shannon Dreyer. A lot to get through there. And somebody asked, is it a a club option for Kyle Seager? Is it a mutual thing? No, it's the team's decision. Uh, It is Danny and Glunt. Somebody worries about Russell's plummeting status in the NFL Top 100. And it got me feeling defensive. We'll explain why next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. He can't stop. He won't stop. He rides a white horse. He has a long, long cape, and he uses that cape to defend the honor of one Russell Wilson. He is Russell Wilson's foremost white knight. His name, Danny O'Neill, is Colin Cowherd. It's good that he loves him, right? Like you want to, you want to have your quarterback have a hero, somebody, somebody, somebody champion him in the national space. It's much better than having an ardent hater like Skip Bayless with LeBron James. Instead, you've got Colin Cowherd who loves him some Russ. Cowherd took an issue, Danny, with the NFL Top 100, which is a list that is put together with votes from players. It's not exactly the most scientific list. Some guys put thought into it. Others. Not so much. Whatever the case, he doesn't get why Aaron Rodgers is higher on this list than Russell Wilson, who is number 12. This is just a list, but this is why I don't pay a ton of attention. to the, In NFL Network, they do a great job, but they do a lot of this stuff. You know, they get us all worked up, and they'll put somebody a little higher, a little lower. Whatever. I get the game. But the value of Russell Wilson and Mahomes is everybody in the league's available. Bid. You understand if Aaron Rodgers, who's going to finish higher on this list, was available and Russell Wilson was, Russell Wilson would have far more suitors. He's younger, he's healthier, he's more optimistic. He doesn't say things like, yeah, I was 50-50 on retiring. He's more athletic. He's won with four different coaches. A high school coach, two college coaches, NFL coach. <laughs> Danny's making a face. Well, that was weird, the four different coaches. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's generally right. Like, I bristled at the idea that Josh Allen is above him. I know why Josh Allen's above him. Josh Allen had a better season last year, and his team went farther. But if you asked, 
if if some if an NFL GM told you that I'm going to take Josh Allen ahead of Russell Wilson, in it in both are available for the same price. Like the both are available there. I I, will, I my preference is Josh Allen because he's younger. I think you're an idiot. Like last season is the outlier for Allen, right? Like last last year is the one thing that stands out in his career. So I I get what Collins I get what Collins saying there. Age is the only reason that you'd pick Josh Allen, even if you would. And again, I'm with you. You you do not make that decision with Russell Wilson just, what, 31, 32 years old. Meanwhile, you could make that same argument, though, for as far as why as Rodgers is ahead. I mean, if you're picking between the two, Rodgers coming off of a 50-touchdown pass season. Yeah. Rodgers has the MVP of the league. Who, which one do you take? Going into this year? Not knowing how Russell Wilson's going to respond to the right. way that things ended or how the offense is going to come together. Rodgers' stock is higher, period. Well, okay, so you would pay Rodgers more. If we're talking about for one year, yeah. No, 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 that's not, that, that's not what we're talking about. You, you get your choice of both quarterbacks with their resumes as they sit right now. Their age, their their achievements, and you you have to you have to pick one, and you get that guy for the foreseeable future. He is he is your team's your team's quarterback going forward. Oh, you're def- you're, you're you're picking Russ, and, that, okay. and that's that's what the that's argument what, becomes. That's is it what a one year said. or is a long term right. thing, right? And that's what that's the argument that Coward is making there. But he should understand why Rodgers is ahead. Rodgers was yeah. the MVP. Yeah, yes, I I completely the the reasons the reasons why. Russell is not in the top 10 are eminently understandable. Cowherd wasn't finished, and he discussed why Russ is better than Aaron Rodgers. And along the way, I guess you got a little drive-by action. Russell, since he broke into the league, has more passing yards than Aaron Rodgers. How is that possible? He's got a defensive coach who falls in love with a run. They've had bad offensive line coaches now on their fourth. They're on their third offensive coordinator. How is it possible? Aaron's had offensive guys. The reality is, if you go and look at Russell and Aaron on the market, Aaron's older, he's had issues, he's 50-50 on retirement, he's going to be a $46 million cap hit next year, and this is not a shot at Aaron. Never forget this, because you all love Aaron Rodgers. Since Russell entered the league, he's got more passing yards, a higher winning percentage, more playoff wins, less drama, fewer injuries, more regular season wins than A.R., or as I like to call him, 50-50. Oh, got him. How did he make me sort of feel that he's given Aaron Rodgers, like, the short end of the stick there? Like, I, I feel, yeah, you know why he's got more passing yards? Because Rodgers gets hurt. Like, that's why, like, come on. I I would choose Ro- Aaron, Russell Wilson ahead of Aaron Rodgers. I would. But if you were going to ask who's had the better career since Russ entered the league, it's it's Rodgers, right? Like if you're gonna who's that who's been better over the previous nine seasons? Is it isn't it Rodgers? More often than not, it's been Rodgers because yeah, there was like a stretch, breadth of the career. Right. Yeah. Whereas Russ was not necessarily a game manager, but he wasn't asked to do as much as he is at this point in time. So yeah, over the past decade, sure. It's weird, Danny, too, that he makes that argument bringing up the total wins, the Super Bowl appearances, when he constantly describes the Seahawks as borderline incompetent i know i mean you're making the argument for the seahawks right there while you're making this argument for russ you're bringing up just completely pointless statistics too i hate it when people bring up total passing yards like shut up i whenever you bring that into an argument about like why a quarterback is better i i immediately tune out and 
I mean, I mean, where's yards per attempt? You're talking completion percentage? You know who else had a great completion percentage one year? Sam Bradford. He stinks. You know, like, it's, it's weird. The argument that he set up here, we're not even necessarily that worked up over the fact that he is caping for Russ here. It's more like, okay, not only are you sticking up for Russ again when you probably don't need to, but why the shots at the Seahawks when they are actually putting him in the situation to do some of those things that you're comparing these two quarterbacks by? Bizarre. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Paul Gallant. It's Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Viva la France. Ty France is at it again. Is he going to be able to hit 300 by the end of the year? Is he the team MVP? And are the Mariners going to be able to get a little two-game sweep of the Oakland A's this afternoon? All of that on the table. Don't go anywhere.